This episode is brought to you by Salt and Strings Butchery in Southern Illinois. Order your custom beef today by visiting saltandstrings.com or use the link in the show notes. This episode is also brought to you by Barbell Logic, the premier online coaching service for barbell strength training. Get your first month free by signing up at barbelllogic.com slash hardmen or use the link in the show notes. Well, welcome to this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. I am your host, Eric Kahn. And in today's episode, we're going to be continuing with how do I find my calling with pastor and headmaster Kevin Love of Refuge Church. Kevin and I continue the conversation. If you remember from last time, part one, we were talking about MAP motivation, abilities, and pattern. We discussed motivation in episode one, and in this episode, we're going to be talking about abilities and pattern. What are the difference between skills and talents, and how do you go about identifying your abilities in such a way that's going to help you figure out what is your calling in life specifically and especially with vocation? And then we're also going to be talking about patterns. How do you go out in the world and actually verify the things that you're good at and get opinions and feedback from other people in such a way that would be helpful. How can I say it's my calling unless I take it for a test drive? So we're going to talk about that again with abilities and patterns today. This will be part two of how do I find my calling. By the way, I want to point everyone to Patreon for support for this show. If you've benefited, appreciate this content, definitely would encourage you to check out on Patreon a membership there for as little as $5 a month. However, if you do sign up for $10 a month, you get a free Hardman Slunk Eggs coffee cup. Of course, you can also slunk eggs in that cup. And just a teaser for next week, we're going to be talking with the fellows at Max D Trailers. I had the opportunity to go down there to Texas, near Paris, Texas, to visit Kendall Cornelson and Jonathan Harms. And I got to interview Kendall and talk about what they're doing, really taking so many of the principles of building Christendom, but doing that in their local context with their trailer company. They've been super successful and specifically in shaping culture within the company, leading men to equip them to fulfill their vocational roles and see the true dignity of work. So stay tuned for that next week. Again, that's Max D trailers. We definitely appreciate those guys. So give them a shout out as well. And then again, thank you for all the Patreon supporters. We simply could not do this work without your support. At this point, ladies and gentlemen, buckle up and enjoy this conversation with headmaster and pastor Kevin Love. I I think it's a good segue actually to abilities. So we're on the A now of MAP acronym. Yeah. Let me, let me say for full disclosure, because yeah. I totally forgot to say up front, RC Sproul is where I initially got this MAP acronym from. Okay. It probably looks way different now because I have not been able to find, I found this years ago, MAP, and I've been using it since. It's been really helpful for me. But I don't know if it's because it's behind a paywall or something like that, but I have not been able to find his teaching on this that I pulled this from. But I know for sure I have tweaked them and developed them what they actually stand for. But the MAP has, was totally taken from RC Sproul. Okay. Full disclosure there. Uh, so yeah, we're in the second section now. We're, we're in abilities. I want to push back against some well-intentioned but bad advice again in this area. And that is, and I've heard this before, and I don't, I don't remember where I heard it from. If, if it's a close friend, I do love you. Uh, 
Specialization is for bugs. Okay, so it, it's rhetorically effective. <clears throat> when, when you hear it, you say, oh, okay, specialization is for bugs. I'm not a bug, so we can't specialize. Okay, so I don't want to be a, like a specialist, right? They're, they're pushing back saying that, that we are not meant to be the guy that just pulls the lever over and over and over again. And that's all you do. That's all you can do. And there's a sense in which I agree, but I would agree that that it that hyper specialization is not okay. So you would call the lever pulling hyper specialization. Yeah, hyper specialization. And and I think this is where they they would fundamentally using that analogy, they would fundamentally misunderstand what I'm trying to say here if they were to push back and say specialization is for bugs. I think this is where they they'd miss it. A bug is has a very specific design and they can do no other. What I'm advocating here is actually a man figuring out his abilities, his map, let's say, and from a thoughtful, intentional approach, now honing in on those strengths and on those abilities. He can do a lot more. He can do a lot more. Can, but should he is the question, right? So he's actually um, seeing God's providence seeing that God made him with purpose. He's going through this discovery process, figuring that out, what that is in his life. And then now he is going forth with purpose and committing to that. In a way, it's kind of like theologians say, thinking God's thoughts after him. Right. It's kind of like an interesting business application or, or calling application of that. Well, God made me a certain way. I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. I'm not trying to do something new. I'm just trying to think God's thoughts after him. Well, and that, that was kind of the tie-in with like now discover your strengths or the strengths finder testing was a, a lot of business stuff in the past has been like, okay, we need to figure out what you're bad at and try and fix it. And they were saying, no, 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 no. We need to figure out what you're good at and put you in a position where you're mostly doing what you're good at. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I think in a broad sense, you, you, we're saying you specialize in that you're using your gifts. Mm-hmm. We're not saying you specialize in the sense where you literally only do one thing. No. Almost no job anyway is kind of like that, I no. found. Mm-mm. Like my job now, I'm CEO of New Christendom Press. I get to do a lot of the things I like. You still play the field. You have so. to do a lot of different things well. You do. You just mm-hmm. do. Yeah. And and one thing, maybe just to make sure that I'm not misunderstood here too, I don't know if you'd call this against the other ditch or like hyper generalization, but even as I'm talking about us specializing or finding our callings, there's room in there for the generalist also. The generalist is a calling. I'll, I'll come back to this example maybe later in this podcast, but Kevin Griffin, who's another pastor here, <clears throat> he's a general contractor and we're hiring him to do our basement remodel. He's wonderful at what he does. He is so good. But we were having a conversation at the park last summer, I think it was, and he was telling me, uh, how much of a need there is out there for a generalist. A general contractor is a generalist, right? He can kind of do all the trades, you know, other than some of the specialty work that due to the licensing, you know, the plumber just has to do it. Uh, but, but he is intentionally saying, hey, I play the field because people need it. Because what we currently have today is you, you have the guy who can do the trim and then you have the guy who can do the baseboards and you have the, no, I mean, it's not actually that bad, but, but that's kind of what it feels like. You have to hire a new guy for every little aspect of the job. And Kevin says, well, I, I think I'm gifted at like pretty much all of this stuff. Let me, let me just do it. Right. So then when I'm hiring Kevin, uh, like, you know, we were just in the hospital recently and 
it's so helpful to have a guy that I can just say, I don't care what the cost is. I trust you. Just fix it. <laughs> just, just, just do it. Right. And he's doing that as a generalist. And yeah. You don't need that. like 20 specialists to come in and do every little aspect of it. Yeah. Imagine it, how exhausting that would be. In the, in the ministerial world, we talk about this with being a, like if you're just a, a vocational pastor, uh, theologically speaking, it's the same deal. You have to be a generalist. Mm-hmm. You're a general practitioner type doctor, meaning you might one day you might have a, a teenage guy coming in saying, Hey, I struggle with porn. Mm-hmm. The next day it might be a married couple who needs advice on what to do with their grown children. I mean, it can vary so drastically. Yeah. Whereas you think about a lot of guys who are professors when you, even what a PhD is, you're like, I am going to study for the next three years. I'm going to study the usage of a particular Greek word in the new Mm -hmm. Testament. Yeah. Like that, I would call that hyper specialized. Yeah. And the thing is there, there is a time and place where that's actually useful. Mm -hmm. Right. But you kind of have to know which of those personality types you are. And if you're the PhD guy, a lot of times they don't do well as pastors and vice versa. It's interesting you say that because Jay Adams, a guy, a guy we both read at this point, but he was. Yeah. Biblical counseling. Yeah. He was warning against pigeonholing too much or stovepiping, whatever you want to call it, where you have this guy do all the counseling and this guy does all the preaching and, the, and, and they're kind of like the, the twain shall never meet that, that whole idea because it's in the counseling that you figure out what's really going on in your congregation. Those that are your application points. That needs to be addressed yeah. in the preaching, right? And it's in the preaching that you're administering the word and giving this credibility in a way that bleeds into the counseling that somebody's coming to you. Cause I heard you say that in the, in your sermon. And now we need to talk about it. Cause I'm convicted. <laughs> we need to talk, you know, yes. uh, if, if you have the two so separated, it's actually a disservice to your people and to your own ministry. Yeah. So, it becomes and, sort anyways. of the right and left hand, not knowing what the other one is doing. Yes. Yeah. There, there is a, a danger of doing that. Not, not saying that, that everyone does that. Obviously we, we try not to do that here as well, but, but there is a danger of doing that. So one of the other points, Kevin, uh, to bring up about abilities, we, yeah. we mentioned this before, but you can think of what Paul says in some of his New Testament letters. Mm-hmm. We're working from the basis that God has given these gifts to people. And something a pastor told me very early on in my Christian life, he was like, well, you should figure out how to use the gifts to serve the body yeah. and to serve other people. It seems like a really good way to start with a lot of this is maybe to rephrase it a little, but in Jordan Peterson speak, if you can find an area where there's a need and you can take responsible action to mm. meet it with your gifts, yeah, that's kind of the sweet spot. It seems like, yeah. Agree. Disagree. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, and, and just recognizing that you know, that kind of goes back to purpose too, yeah. which is really this whole thing, but, but motivations as well. Am I helping God's people? A- am I doing what God has assigned for me? Right. I can go to bed at night with a clear conscience. After I pray, I sleep very soundly because I know exactly what I'm doing. I know, I know why I'm doing it. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think you, you get a lot of energy doing it that way. But yeah, one, one thing, again, going back to this, this goal of mine is that we can think through this as Christians. You have people throwing around all of these terms, abilities, talents. There's another one that I just, I, I just saw in a book the other day. Uh, skills or, or something. And skills I'm actually going to use quite a bit differently. We'll, we'll see in this. But we see in Ephesians 4 that it was God who gave gifts to men. It's God who gave them, and they are gifts to men specifically, right? 
They're they're different gifts. We see also in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, a, a complete variety of gifts. But we know that it says that one spirit, one body, many members. Remember, that's the, the part where he's saying, uh, basically, the, the feet can't say to the hands, I, I have no need of you, or, or the head to the hands, or, or any part of the body. But instead, we see that uh, we have spiritual gifts in the body, and they're used to build the body up and to serve the body. But one, one area in which I think we stop short in Christendom oftentimes is that we just apply that spiritually as if for the spiritual things that applies, you know, one body, different members, uh, different giftings. But then when it comes to the secular or it comes to anything outside of this spiritual sphere, we're, we're all the same. Well, even think (laughs) about it in most churches, like you become a member and you take a quote unquote spiritual gifts survey. Mm. Not it's, you know, generally not just a gift survey. Yes. Um, Never. (laughs) And probably Lord willing, never will. (laughs) But yeah, I I, I think not having a clear learning Latin. That's right. A clear division. um, But being able to say like, Hey, the, and I think a lot of the giftings too, like in the church or out of it, like if you're a people oriented person who loves conversation and networking, well, that would be a good thing to know in church or out of it. Yep. And then you could apply it differently. Yeah. Yeah. Cause again, being completely honest there, that's a good example because there are some people that love talking. There are some people that despise it. <laughs> they are not energized by it whatsoever. So may, maybe somebody is deathly afraid of speaking in front of crowds. You know, what would be a good calling for them? You should be a pastor. You should be the preaching pastor. Yes. (laughs) Like that's just, that's a good idea for you. Well, and it's interesting, Kevin, you, you bring this up, but it gets to kind of the, you know, what makes you different from everybody else. Yeah. Um, When I was young, I remember I would write all the time and I would journal all the time. Something, a practice that I've had in my life. I keep a moleskin journal Mm. and I'm usually writing multiple pages per day and have for over well, probably over 15 years. So I have like a stack of moleskins. And uh, I was talking to Pastor Brian about that the other day. And he was like, what? (laughs) And it was so weird because I was like, yeah, doesn't everybody? Nope, not this guy either. And, and, and no, you know, it it wasn't. Or, or Brian might say, yeah, everybody loves to stand up and can just speak for 20 minutes off the cuff very well at local loquaciously, you know, <laughs> yeah, as Brian does big words. Um, but then you, uh, then you realize, no, as no. a matter of fact, not everybody is hardwired that way. No. Brian said to me the other day, he said, um, um, it, it's really helpful that you like to network and talk with people on the phone. I was like, well, everybody loves that. And he's like, no, I hate talking on the phone. <laughs> yeah. I don't like that <laughs> at all. Just not my thing. Yeah. yeah. So why is it important to know and, and kind of how would you know, but why is it important to know what you're good at? that yeah. other people aren't. Yeah. How's that helpful? Well, what, one reason, at least how I kind of think through this is there, there's a temptation to look around you at very gifted people mm-hmm. and to say, oh, I'm just, oh, I I'm wish just I had not, that. Gift. Not like him. I'm not like her. I, w- I wish I was gifted like that. When, when we're kind of thinking about it the wrong way, instead of comparing yourself to others, which is just going to lead you to distress, probably to be completely honest, especially when you look at really gifted people and and what they do, it's better to ask, well, how did God gift me? Again, God did not make Kevin love the same as Eric Kahn. 
and praise God for that, right? It would be wrong of me to look at you and see you excelling in your vocations and say, man, I just wish, I, I wish I was just more like him. And, 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 and obviously I'm not gifted like he is and yada, yada, yada. You focus on what you're not basically. Yeah, exactly. You start yeah. looking at what you're not, which is the wrong, it's a wrong headed way of thinking about it. There is an admir admirable sense of looking at somebody else that you respect and say, I want to be uh, holier, right? Like he calls me up. Like I, not holy as he is holy, but holy as the Lord is holy, obviously. But, but I see him and I say, I, I want to be more holy like that, but, but not with his specific giftings necessarily. Right. And there's actually a joy to that. It's actually very freeing because then you can look at yourself and say, well, well, how am I gifted? What are my abilities and how could I apply them? Kind of like how Eric's applying them. Right. But to what God has called me to do. Right. There's a lot of energy that gets added, especially like we're talking about even uh, the crew that we have here working at the church. There's a lot of energy because we're different, because we complement one. You talked about with Dan and Brian as well. Like that's actually a good thing that they're not the same because we have a lot of work to get done. Just being completely honest, right? Uh, the fact that our brains work differently and we have different giftings allows us to get more done together when we recognize I'm not trying to be you. I don't want to be you. Yeah, it's really interesting too. We were talking about this the other day, but you kind of get into the, the situations where we have like the dream team, uh, Michael Jordan, uh -huh. Scottie Pippen, you know, even when they played for Team USA, you had John Stockton, Carl Malone. It was crazy, literally a dream team. But in many of our cultures, group settings in America, whether it's church or business, we often can't get talented people together I think because we misunderstand giftings. Mm. So what tends to happen is sort of the like one guy's really talented and he'll surround himself yeah. with a bunch of like, yes, men. Uh -huh. Yeah. Weaklings. And that's mm -hmm. the only kind of group that you have. And I would say like, what's unique about here is we've all kind of figured out that like, I would say there's, there's sort of a, you know, hopefully as humbly as a humble brag as possible. But I look at the men around me and I say a lot of high capacity dream team guys. Mm-hmm. You know, Kevin, but here's the deal. Kevin's doing the school really well and that just fits you. Yeah. But I'm not competing with you for that. Mm -hmm. Right. I believe in the school. My kids are in support it. Support the school. We yeah. want to, we want to be wholly invest in it, but in a totally different way. Yes. I'm not trying to be Brian preaching and doing music because a, I don't want people's ears to bleed. <laughs> <laughs> but there's that point. But, yeah. but like those are his unique giftings. Yeah. So we each kind of have a clear understanding of what the other guys are good at. And I'm not yeah. trying to take their lanes and they're not trying to do what I do. Well, well, exactly. The nice thing about that, even, even the way that you're phrasing it right now, if I'm to say the other side, it's really nice not to have people nitpicking. Yes. Like, like let, let me do my work and I don't have somebody looking over my shoulder be, because they want my job. Yes. Right. So, so there's less of that nitpicking and, and backbiting and all of that kind of stuff. We, yes. we just, we're, we're, we're working. We're not all know? competing for the same. Yeah gifting position, whatever yeah. it is. Well, one way I want to make this really practical for the people who are listening right now too, is there's some confusion in the terminology. And so I kind of want to mm -hmm. set, yeah. set the terminology straight, and at least in how I'm going to use it. I want to distinguish talents from skills. Mm. So talents are the things that you have been gifted with. Just like, again, parable of the talents, or are you going to bury these talents? Or are you actually going to put them to work? Uh, talents are things that you've been given you've been gifted with. It's not something you can learn. Skills, on the other hand, are things that you can learn. So I'll come back to this in a second, but we have, we have an accountant friend 
who she is, and I say this with, with dear affection, she's a friend. She is OCD about numbers. Like just totally numbers are her thing. She loves numbers. Accounting is perfect for her. Uh, I think she'd be a helpful kind of test case for this idea. Her OCD about numbers, that's a talent. That's not a skill. That's not something I can teach somebody. No. To be honest, I, I might be able to make them a little better and give them more attention to detail just through some training, but I can't make them care so much about numbers that they're just thrilled when things actually reach zero sum. Right. You know what I mean? Like when things all check out, you, you can't teach that. What I can teach those, I can teach you how to work QuickBooks. I, I can teach you the steps to go through to balance a budget. I, I can teach you those. Those are skills that I can teach, but that's different, very different from a talent, a talent that you're, you're kind of born with and that you'll shape. So there's a, there's a scene in Goodwill Hunting that, that totally made me, or that, that totally helps, I think, illustrate this point of a talent versus a skill. So, so to, to cue it up a little bit, the girlfriend, I can't remember the names. I, I just thought of it this morning, but the girlfriend's at Harvard, she's going through like organic chemistry or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, Will Hunting is, is a brain. He's, he's a total brain. I love the opening scene. I don't know if you remember this, but opening scene, he's just sitting in his room and he's just, you know, thumbing through the pages of these books. And that's how he was reading them, right? Like supposedly in, in, in the movie, he's, he's reading them just by thumbing through the pages and he's going like a page per second, basically, right? So anyways, it's establishing that he's just a brain. He can understand things. He's the guy who's the janitor in the movie who, who's going and, and solving this super complex, I think it was, it was some, some math problem or, or something with the professor there. He's the janitor who solves it. And they're, they're trying to track him down. He's got like, he needs to go through counseling, obviously, but <laughs> yes. he's, he's got some stuff, but he's, he's sitting down uh, like, like a coffee or something with this girlfriend. She's doing organic chemistry and he, he wants to go out and, you know, go bowling or something. Cause he's kind of bored and he wants to take a peek at her, at her work to, to try to help her out. And that frustrates her because he can get it. It just comes like this to him, but she can't. And so, so I think it would just be helpful to listen to it probably. How's it going? Fine. Good. You want some help? No. Come on, give me one little peek no. about the bad It is actually important that I learn this. It's really important. All right. For me. Okay. All right. Oh, why don't we just hang out here all day? Yes, why don't we? <laughs> All right, Mr. Nosy Parker. <laughs> Seems you're intent on breaking my balls. Let me ask you a question. All right. Do you have a photographic memory? I don't know. I just kind of remember, you know. I mean, how do you remember your phone number? You know, you just do. <laughs> well, have you studied organic chemistry? A little bit. Oh, just for fun. Yeah, for kicks. Yeah, it's so much fun studying organic chemistry. Are you mad? <laughs> you completely lost your mind. Nobody studies it for fun. It's not a necessity, especially for someone like you. Someone like me? Yeah. Someone who divides their time fairly evening between batting cages and bars. <laughs> I would hardly say it's a necessity. 
you know, there are very smart people here at Harvard, and even they have to study because this is really hard. And yet, you do it so easily. I don't understand. I, I, I don't understand how your mind works. Did you play the piano? I want to talk about this. No, so. I'm trying to explain it to you. Do you play the piano? Yeah, but. All right. So when you when you look at a piano, you see Mozart. I see chopsticks. All right. Well, Beethoven. Okay. He looked at a piano, and it just made sense to him. He could just play. So what are you saying? You play the piano? No, not a lick. I mean, I look at a piano. I see a bunch of keys, three pedals, and a box of wood. But Beethoven, Mozart, they saw it. They could just play. I couldn't paint you a picture. I probably can't hit the ball out of Fenway. I can't play the piano. But you can do my Oakham paper in under an hour. Right. Well, I mean, when it came to stuff like that, I could always just play. Okay. So, so that's it. I think that's the perfect example of what I'm trying to talk about here. Yeah. That was, that was him trying to describe his talents. He's not talking about a skill. No, no one had to teach him how to think through Ochem. No one had to teach him how to, you, you know, uh, read these books so fast and, and have a photographic memory. That's what she was asking about. He basically just said it, it just came to me. You, you, you think of Mozart, you think of, of Beethoven. What, as I'm hearing it again, this time, Something that stood out to me uh, even more is he said, I, I couldn't paint you a picture. I couldn't There's hit a lot of hit things the ball. I can't yeah, do. Yeah, I couldn't hit the ball out of Fenway Park, but but I could I could do your O Kevin under an hour. Yeah, sure, I could I could do that. Now it is interesting because you, you think that like with people's talents, most of us probably aren't gonna have like prodigy level sure like sure. Will Hunting. Mm-hmm. But it's still, I, maybe the, going to the prodigy level is just helpful in getting people to think through. Yeah. yeah but what are the things where, you know, again, to use a uh, Stephen Pressfield mm-hmm. um, from the legend of Bagger Vance, he, he says something like, everyone has a one true authentic swing. Mm-hmm. It's different than anybody else. Think about golf swings. Yeah. Like Jim Furyk, he used to have this like weird hook in his lefty swing, I think <laughs> it was. And, but it was like his swing. That was his authentic swing. You couldn't teach that to somebody else. So even in a golf swing, they're all fundamentally hitting a ball and doing the same thing, but it always looks different. Yeah. So it's kind of like that. Maybe like fingerprints, everybody's going to have a unique path. Another way of asking it is just what, what comes naturally to you? Mm -hmm. What, what is something that you don't really have to work that hard for? And and I'm going to give some very concrete examples. uh, Definitely before we close this one out, just to get us thinking through some of these, but uh, yeah, what what comes naturally to you? I, I heard this illustration. It might have been in Who or it might have been in First Break All the Rules or some other book. I can't remember. But to describe a talent, the illustration was given between taking, let, let, let's look at a, a two-lane freeway. If you had a two-lane freeway already, uh, let's say of your talent, uh, you, you're just given that, right? You could You could turn that into a four-lane freeway like, like without too much more effort, you know, unless you're in Utah and they just are doing construction <laughs> literally all year. But uh, you could turn that into a four lane freeway without too much effort. But if you were born with a back roads, left and right, zigzagging through the forest, kind of um, not even paved path in a certain talent, could you turn that into a four lane freeway? Well, no, Let, let's just say no, right? For, for this conversation, at least. Uh, that's kind of how we should think about this. There are certain talents that we have 
where it's like, yeah, I, I have like a two lane freeway and I could make that better. You, you could definitely make it better, but you're not gonna be able to take a back roads to a four lane. Right. And that's what, that's kind of what I'm trying to get across when we're talking about talents versus skills as well. Uh, when, when you're thinking through your talents, what comes naturally to you when we're talking about abilities, right? That's this whole section for the A abilities, what comes naturally to you that for other people, it doesn't necessarily come naturally to them. Uh, you're, you're talking about like Excel spreadsheets. That's even something right. Mental organization. Maybe that's a skill that you have. I, uh, I'll reference this later, but my mind cannot, but start to organize when I see things that are disorganized. I'm not necessarily talking about picking up clothes at home because I'm horrible at that. Sarah will tell you, but, but when I see, uh, maybe like a teaching, if I see, uh, some kind of layout organization, my mind wants to impose order on it. And that's a talent in itself, right? Not everyone has that. No, I have a lot of weaknesses as well, but that's something that just comes fairly naturally to me that I'm kind of OCD about, right? That's actually a helpful way of thinking about it too. What comes naturally to me, but if you wanted to put it in, in and I, I know I'm abusing that term obviously, but what are you OCD about? What do you see in other people that you're like, oh, they're just, oh, why are they doing it that way? Why don't they do it this way, right? That's kind of an indication that maybe that's how your mind works. Yeah, I always found, Kevin, th- this goes back to not realizing it for many, many years, but I always found with myself, like with writing, I would listen to sermons, I would read books, I would listen to people give speeches. And I would always be thinking, didn't even know I was doing it, uh-huh. but I'd be like reordering the words. Well, it would have made more sense if this was four, not five points. Mm-hmm. And really, like you're really missing, like what's the answer to this question? You didn't pose that properly. Yeah, I thought everybody did that, mm. which, which as you're saying, like they don't. So the other thing that's interesting here is not only self-awareness, but it seems like in a lot of groups, teams, you know, our environment here at the church, one of the things I've tried to do is just help other people identify. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I said to Dan the other day, I said, Dan, you are amazing. He'll take the most obscure thing, spend, I don't know how much time, doesn't take him that long, but he spends an amount of time researching it. Mm-hmm. And then like he, he can become like your armchair expert pretty quickly on almost uh-huh. anything. Yeah. And it excites him and he wants to tell you about it. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I shared with him one time, I said, that's really cool how you do that. And he was like, whoa, everybody does. Anybody could do that. And I was like, yeah, no, I hate that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm more the type of guy where it's like, give me something to speak on in six months. Yeah. And I would like to take the next six months to research, research and, and mm-hmm. obsess over one thing. Yeah. A big topic, but one thing. Yeah. So, so it is different. It's really good that you bring that up too, because for anyone listening right now that you're thinking, through, well, what, are, what are my abilities? What, what are my talents? It's helpful to recognize, again, why you need help. Because oftentimes when we're in our own brains, it's like the fish that doesn't know that it's swimming, swimming around, breathing in water. You're in water already. You don't recognize that. Well, yeah, it's because it's you. It's always been you. Maybe that's just how your mind, your mind naturally gravitates to one thing. You're not actively thinking that, oh, that's, that's different. That's, that doesn't come naturally to everyone. Right. Right. So we're, that's almost like that self-deception thing. And I don't even necessarily mean that in a, a really negative or pejorative way, but we're kind of self-deceived because we just don't recognize sometimes where we're gifted because yeah, we're thinking in our own head. I think it's a good point. The other thing that comes to mind is like for, for women, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think about our wives. You know, I think one of the downsides of sort of like the patriarchal camp is they're like, well, every woman is a housewife. That means every woman is the same. Mm-hmm. And man, that could not be further from the truth. Oh yeah. When you think about the diversity of say like the elders wives, mm-hmm. very, very, very different mm-hmm. and complementary people in the same way that we are as pastors. Yeah. But it seems like for them, like it's a really good picture of you. Yeah. In one sense, they're all doing the same thing. Uh, meaning they're, they're managing households. Yeah. But personalities, gifts, skill sets, it comes across very different. Mm -hmm. Even the Proverbs 31 woman was not like a boring, again, like peanut butter spread kind of woman. She just, she she was one, very gifted, but then was doing a a pretty diverse uh, task list in a way. She, she was surveying real estate and buying it. She was. Think about that. Right. That's literally one, one of the pieces that you look at and you go, hmm. So they should all be real estate agents, but, uh, but you do see that and you say, well, well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's room for diversity there too. Right. It's not like all the, all the women are the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, you gotta be thinking through that. I think it is a little bit different when you have, uh, so, so men even made in the garden for a purpose for, for work. Right. And then the woman being created and then joining as a help me for that work primarily, right? And now you as a household are working towards that mission. So it is a little bit of a different, uh, maybe like a subset of this conversation, but there still is definitely diversity there that you have to think through. How can you best help complement your husband? Let, let's say you own your own business, for example, and, and going back to the whole numbers thing, somebody being OCD about numbers, maybe the guy's not. Maybe he's really good at getting in front of people. Maybe he's really good at sales and that kind of stuff, but the details bore him. He, he just, he does not like that. That drains him so much. Well, that's a wonderful compliment. If your wife is OCD about numbers, she should probably handle the numbers for you, right? If, if that can work out in your family relationship, then she can be that Proverbs 31 woman who's doing that skill set. So it really is kind of a complimentary conversation that you're having together as you're looking at your map, husband and wife even. Yeah, it's it's also all interesting, Kevin. Like one of the things we talked about, I think offline as well. But this this question of when you're thinking about abilities, what's the difference between what you do and who you are as you think through the abilities? Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> there's kind of going back to that that whole concrete versus abstract as well. Yeah, because sometimes you're going to have the 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 what the what that you do, uh, and then also the um, like what you could actually step into instead. Mm-hmm. And again, that's, that's a growing conversation. Husband and wife kind of conversation too, right? Like getting a process through that kind of stuff. Uh, it, it's vital for the conversation that you understand that so that you could step into it further. Yeah. One of the other questions I was thinking through a lot uh, is we were talking about Jim Collins and good to great. A lot of this kind of overlaps. I think we'll talk about that more, but the uh-huh. hedgehog yes. principle. Yeah. Um, but one of the questions he says is what could you be the best at the world at? Yeah. Why is that important? And, and I, I guess just unpack that for me. So oftentimes and in, in philosophers, I think do this pretty well. We, we both read some philosophy, at least philosophers sometimes will, will take a tactic, which I think is helpful. And they'll, they'll push things to the extreme, some sort of thought experiment. Yeah. To, to help you think through this a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, we, we were already talking about that before, but this is this language kind of shakes you a little bit. We, we might not be a, a, a will hunting. Okay, sure. 
But it is helpful to say, what could I be best in the world at? Not necessarily what will you be. Where do I have the potential? Like if I pour into this thing, it's going to be a notable. It's going to be notable. Yeah. According to my, yeah, my abilities, my talents that I've been given, not my skills. You can learn those, but my abilities, where, where could I be best in the world at? One reason that, that this is really helpful is because it, again, it shocks us a little bit so that you stop thinking on the level of what, what am I pretty good at? Stop thinking about that. What, what could you be the best at? What, what, what by your God-given nature can you actually be the best at? He uses this illustration that I thought was helpful. Uh, and, and maybe you've run into this problem before or, or seen it because I've definitely seen it. You're in high school and there's that guy, there's that kid. He's the, he's the straight A student. He just, he crushes it at everything pretty much, right? But, but he too has weaknesses. So he, he gets an A in math, but that's not really his thing. He's the history whiz. He gets into history and starts correcting the teacher. The teacher's given a lesson and he's like, oh yeah, that happened in the battle of da, 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 da on this day. And everyone else in the class is going, what is this kid talking about? That's not even in the lesson. Where did he get that from? Right. I honestly have no idea, right? He would be one of those kids that you uh, could see how he would fall into a danger of when he starts to look at his calling, well, he's, he's confused because he's pretty good at everything. We're not trying to figure out what, what could you do because that's a core competence, right? I, I'm, I'm pretty good at each of these areas, whatever. I still get an A in math. Yeah, I think Collins even had a word for it. I can't, I can't remember. Something of competence, like the downfall of competence. Or, oh, uh, um, yeah. You're, but it you're basically creates like a problem. I, I, the more skills you have, especially if you're a generalist. Yeah. Like, you know, I, in sports as a kid, I, I could be generally good at a lot of things. I was never like great or wasn't going to play, you know, college ball on some scholarship. But I, I was pretty good. And so a lot of times what we have to figure out is not just, Hey, what are a bunch of things you could be pretty good at, but what's the thing you can really crush it at? It's kind of the standout or even, um, Oh, I'm Seth Godin, uh, Mm -hmm. like his book linchpin. Mm -hmm. What's that one thing you can do that like other people can't. Yeah. And if you can figure out how to do that in a company, it's a greater likelihood that you become a quote unquote linchpin, meaning Mm -hmm. they need you. Yeah. You're a vital part of what the company does. Well, it helps cut through the noise yes. as well, especially again, when, when you're pretty good at a lot of things, it can help cut through the noise because some people are just gifted with the, with the, um, uh, we'll call them providential circumstance that they're not that good at, at a lot of things, but there is something that they know they're really good at. Okay, cool. You've got it figured out, but we're talking about somebody who's like pretty good at, at a lot of different things, but let's cut through the noise and say, what could you be the best in the world at? It reorients the conversation, right? Same thing, again, a wife or a mother hearing this right now, you can help shape that conversation where you can say, okay, no, 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 no. You're, you're, you're decent at math. I, I get that. But history, you are so good at that, right? But your talent, what, what, what is that talent? Maybe you have some kind of, again, like intellectual organization. Like you're really good at that. I've never been gifted at that. You should, we should pursue that, you know, at, at least make a note of it. So that, that's how you can kind of shape that conversation. Is there, uh, we, we've got to cover the P for pattern. Oh, yeah. uh, anything else you wanted to say before we move on to that? Before we get to pattern, I want to just read a few if I can, just because I have a, yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Because I have the book. So let me just go to, so this is first break all the rules, what the world's greatest managers do differently. Uh, and you have Marcus Buckingham and Kirk, Kurt Kaufman. But uh, I haven't read this book in quite some time, so I, I'm not necessarily going to recommend the rest of it. But Appendix C has a selection of talents. He breaks it up into three different kinds. There's striving talents, thinking talents, and relating talents. I'm just going to give you a few of yeah. each. So striving talents, he says, achiever, a drive that is internal, constant, and self-imposed. Not everyone has that. Kinesthetic, a need to expend physical energy. Competition, a need to gauge your success comparatively. So that's under striving talents, right? Under thinking talents, focus. An ability to set goals and to use them every day to guide actions. Discipline, a need to impose structure onto life and work. Heard that one. I definitely put a star next to that one for, for mine. Uh, arranger, an ability to orchestrate. That really is a talent. And that does not come naturally to many people. Or under relating talents, the third category, uh, empathy, an ability to identify the feelings and perspectives of others. You know many people who are low IQ. They just don't get it, right? Because it just doesn't come naturally. And you cannot teach that. I can't, I, I mean, I could make you better, but I can't put you through a, a course that turns you into a four-lane freeway no, on I, empathy. Yeah, right? and it's, it gets into the IQ, EQ stuff too, where you're like, there are just some people where no matter how hard they work, you're probably not going to be well-suited to be in some kind of position where you have to relate emotionally to people. Yeah. You know, mm -mm. your bedside manner is not getting better. No. Yeah. And it could be improved somewhat, but, but again, that's where it helps shock us. What could be in the best in the world? And I'm not saying what could you be a little better at? That's not the conversation. What can be the best in the world at? And that's where we're going to shape around. That's why the abilities part is so important. So crucial to this conversation. We have motivations. What, what's your, why, what, what could you get excited about? Whether it's the, the, what, the, the, how, or the who, and then you have abilities. What, what are your talents? What are your God-given talents? Not skills that I can teach you later, but those talents. And we'll teach the skills later. If you can find that alignment where, yes, this is my ability. And yes, I'm in the right seat in an organization or, or whatever it is for my calling. Well, then learn the skills, right? Your OCD about numbers. Then let me teach you QuickBooks and you'll take off. You'll love it, right? Because now you have the skills and the abilities or the skills and the talents. And, and you'll, be a, you'll be a rock star at what you do. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. So Kevin, before uh, one thing I would do want to ask you before we go into pattern, now yeah. that I've made my mind up about this, <laughs> um, you know, you've, you've done a lot with my boys. Yeah. Um, I think because you're, you're in this unique position where you're, you're playing headmaster, you're doing some teaching and, but you're also looking at people in young men in formation. Mm -hmm. And so you're thinking through like, okay, how do we get them to the next step? Yeah. Right. That's a useful thing to, to, to see and to be thinking about. Yeah. My question is, what should parents be doing? Uh, maybe what are some of the things you've done to just kind of, it seemed like the thing with my boys, this with the painting yeah, is maybe one example about like, it exposed them to something new. It showed them a little bit what it's like to be, you know, have your own business, have to learn painting, uh, mm -hmm. nomenclature, that sort of thing. Yeah. So, so what should people be doing? Yeah. So the, the first thing, just so that I hit that note at yeah, least, yeah. is they need to be given opportunity. A again, like wh why did we start a school? Why, why not just homeschool? One of the big reasons, especially for boys, is opportunity. Mm. 
even for that competition side, right? We're, we're starting the wrestling team, right? Uh, wrestling club, at least, where you're going to have opportunity to kind of test yourself. You need that, right? You, you need to test yourself to figure out who you are. If you've never been tested, how, how can you say, I, I am this way or I am, I am that way, right? That's, that's why typically for, uh, even for something like becoming a pastor or whatever it is, you, you, have, you have a process that you go through where you get out on the other side and you're like, yep, this is for me. I've been tested. That's, that's where I am. For deacon, right? First Timothy 3 says that they, they shall be tested first. And that's actually where proper confidence comes from. Yes. It's because testing. you've gone through the testing. Mm-hmm. You've been proven true. And you're like, okay, that's confirmation now. Yeah. So, yeah. so they need opportunity. That, that was why even for your boys, when I had them painting with me, <laughs> to be completely honest, as I was thinking through it, it's like, well, am I going to get some paint on the floor? Am I going to, you know, have to go back and paint some, some spots? Cause I, I painted with my dad growing up. Right. So just for the listener, I, I'm fairly competent in rolling, definitely competent in rolling. And so I was teaching them a thing or two while we did it, but it was an opportunity for them. That's why I did it for them. I wanted them to test themselves. I wanted them to even, even earn money from it and say, I did that. Right? When it was great. I, I mean, part of what I loved about it was you had given them a pay rate. <laughs> this, this, is such then, a, this is such a classic teacher thing to do. Yes. This is, and, and it was funny because they were like, my kids, I figured this out because they're at home. It's like late at night, the day before they're going to come paint. <laughs> of course it was the day before. And they're like memorizing all painting nomenclature. And I was like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, well, uh, Headmaster Love, Kevin, he, he gave us a thing. He said, if, if you don't know the nomenclature, you don't know the techniques. They- I, I, well, I basically gave him five, five main questions. Yeah. And I said, you're going to need to talk me through each of these questions as if I was your client. You need to be read up on this. If you do this I'll, and you get it right, substantially right for each of them, I'll give you an extra 250 per hour. So I, I made some financial incentive. And it, it well. and it worked. And, and it worked. And, and they came and they were conversant about painting, having never painted before. Yeah, we actually, uh, my middle son was so proud of the painting experience that he had a hoodie that he got paint on, uh-huh. but he wanted it to wear everywhere because it became a conversation. piece of like, yeah, I painted. Oh yeah. Kevin. Yeah. I painted plenty of times. <laughs> so finally we took that away and we're like that. You cannot wear that in public, <laughs> but anyway, it's, it's they the were badge of honor. They were proud of it. Yeah. yeah. It was a but, great but experience. But they need opportunity, right? That's a perfect example, especially young boys. You need an opportunity to test yourself, even if you fail. Cause then you can look at that and you can learn something from it. But, but, but it was also in a, in a situation that like you, you had a lot of oversight, a lot of oversight. I trained them on it. I walked them through the right. steps and to be completely honest, I had uh, ripped the carpet out already and we were going to put new carpet down later. So if they spilled, which they did, I, I wasn't, I wasn't me too low risk. It. Yeah. It was, it was much more, much lower risk. If I was painting upstairs where we don't have the carpet all ripped out and all that kind of stuff it would be a different conversation, but, but look for those opportunities, right? That's the first thing that I'd recommend. The second thing, as, as I've been thinking about this, we actually do it a little different in the school where I'll, I'll come back to this in point three, but I, I am trying to fill gaps for students. I'm actually trying to fix weak points. So whereas it's a little different when you get into the business world uh, and you can just hire somebody else that fills your weak points, I actually want to help even out those weak points while they're still school age. So I would say that it's a little unique because of that. But the third point is when I see a strength, I want to build on that strength. Uh, even one of your sons, for example, has uh, reading and like, let's just say history literature, that, that stuff comes naturally to him, right? 
one of the worst things that I can do for him is just crack the whip on all the things that he's not good at. Okay, sure, we, we want to address those. And that comes up in counseling, that comes up in our feedback, all that kind of stuff. But what I actually really want to do is I want to push him very hard where he's good. Because that's what we often do sometimes is, is we say, okay, well, well, this student is, especially when we have multiple students, this student's pretty bright. This student doesn't cause me any trouble. So just go do your reading, do your thing. And I got to focus on this student. Well, that's a huge disservice to your, may, maybe a, uh, your student who this stuff comes naturally to. Yeah. You need to push them harder, actually. Yeah. Especially if it's somebody, uh, again, a, a young boy, young man who's trying to uh, prove himself and you just say, oh, you're good at that. You already met the bar. Well, well, that's not fun. Like that's, that's actually not challenging at all. So, so that's what I would say. The, those three things, give them opportunity. Uh, with school age boys, you, you still need to fill in the weak spots. We still need to address that stuff because they're about to go out as adults. And if they never had those weak points addressed from a young age, that's actually going to be disastrous in various areas of their lives. But you need to push them in their strengths too. Challenge. How, how do you think this changes? Maybe, you know, we said we were going to help different age uh-huh. men. Maybe you're 28, maybe you're 38. Yeah. And you're realizing in this career field, whatever job I'm working doesn't align at all with map. Mm-hmm. So for that guy, should he just be discouraged and all hope is lost? Should he quit his job tomorrow? You know, there's a lot of ditches here. Yes. But what in general, what would you say to that guy? It totally depends if he's married, to be completely honest. I, it would be a huge disservice to say to married men to, to just bail and go for it because uh, they need to su- support their families. But that being said, there's a way that you can feather off, right? You, you can get opportunities. There are plenty of people, especially if, if you're in a solid church, there are plenty of other people that you could uh, go, go work with or work for, volunteer or, or whatever it is. Where you nice kinda, weekends. Yeah, you, you, can, you can start to kind of branch out a little bit. Uh, or again, you can make a lateral move sometimes where maybe you're doing this position in a business culture that you hate. Well, now you're doing the same position, but with a, a culture and a company that you really identify with that, that you could totally get behind. That's a really good point. And, and a lot of times too, I found in companies, some of you may have really great bosses. Yeah. And if you go to them and you say, Hey, I'm doing X, Y, and Z, and I, it's not my thing. I really don't like it they might actually be able to help you get different training, yeah. move you within the organization. So it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a huge drastic thing either. No. Yeah. It can be a lateral. It, it doesn't have to be jumping ship. Yeah. Cause I, I would shy away from that and, until you've got something that can really support you financially. Mm-hmm. You need to be careful. I think we should move on just, uh, just due to time uh, to the third point, which is pattern. So we have motivations, we have abilities, and now we have pattern. Uh, if motivation was your why and abilities was what's your God-given gift, pattern is how can I say this is my calling though, unless I've actually field tested this, unless I've actually done the test drive, right? Uh, going back to what you were saying before, even for the pastorate, uh, we oftentimes make this distinction between the external and the internal calling. If you were to say motivations and abilities, that's kind of like the internal calling, at least at first, where a, a young man would say, you know what? I think I'm called to be a pastor. But then his current pastor goes, no, you're not. <laughs> yeah, no. Let, let, let's sit down, son. This is, this is not for you. Let, let me tell you why, right? You might have something like that, or you might just simply have uh, the situation where 
you've had no opportunity to test yourself. So may, maybe the pastor does say, you know, yeah, or, or your mom or your dad or whatever is like, yeah, that, that really would work well for you. So you hear some kind of external confirmation of that, some kind, but, but then you, uh, you haven't preached or done anything like that. And then you step into it and you go, whoa, 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 that's not for me, actually. I, I realize now that's not for me. So this third point is very important, pattern. Is this a consistent pattern that you've seen in your life? So maybe you say, uh, let, let's just use, uh, let's use the real estate stuff just because I think that's a little more concrete. So really excited about homes, really excited about the service and who I'm actually helping. Oftentimes, maybe it's people in your church, right? Uh, so I'm, I'm sold on the why. And then abilities. Okay, maybe I have you know, fairly high EQ. I think I take good care of people, all of that. Okay, cool. So I'm, I'm sold on the abilities part. But, but you, still have to, you still have to test it. You still have to test it out because you might get into something like real estate. And, and again, being a real estate agent looks way easier than it is. And you get into it and you go, oh, wow, I thought it was just a quick buck. Oh, I, I actually don't like this. How, how could you say that you're called to something until you've actually been in it and had some experience of it, right? It, it doesn't matter what calling it is. You need some kind of, has this been a regular pattern in my life such that I could say, yeah, this is my calling from God. Yeah. And that's another thing. Uh, my friend Josh would always say this, but he said, when you're trying to, you know, test these things out, go for a test drive. One of the helpful things to remember is do it in a way that has a low barrier to entry. Yeah. So for example, like, podcasting people say to me all the time like hey i want a podcast you podcast i want a podcast and they're like so i'm gonna buy like a ten thousand dollar studio just jump into it no 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 no. you can actually get into things you can shadow with people Mm -hmm. um you can you know if somebody was interested in real estate like they could just hang around with you a day while you're doing it try to get some kind of feel for it Mm -hmm. you know if you're uh, looking at other professions you can do the same people go on ride-alongs with police officers and sheriffs and, and that sort of thing. So th- there are ways to look into things yeah. um, in this sort of like, Hey, I'm, I'm in a fact finding discovery period mm-hmm. and that's great. I don't have to spend a lot of money and you, you probably shouldn't yeah. right in the beginning, especially early on. And, and if you have young boys, this very much applies. Uh, the earlier on you are probably the wider you'd want on your experience front. Wide range. Yeah. W- wide range, wide, uh, wide range of opportunities, right? Going back to make sure they have good opportunities. Yeah. So like we're talking about around here, maybe you, like, let's just use your oldest boy. Maybe he does come shadow with me. Well, he painted with me. Okay, you got a little taste of that. Maybe he goes with uh, with Pastor Kevin Griffin and he's doing some construction stuff. Maybe he's with um, Deacon Ben Garrett and they're doing some woodworking, right? He gets a lot of opportunity to kind of test this out. Do I like this anyways? Could I, could I really throw my weight behind this kind of vocation? So at first you'd want it to be a lot more broad and then you'd want to scope down further and further over time, narrow it down. If, if you hit it, you know, let, let's say uh, your, your boys were, were shadowing with your, uh, your plumber friend, right? And they're just like, this is it. We're going to have the con boys plumbing service. You know, like this is, this is, it. this is what we're all called to. This is awesome. Um, that would be great, but you typically are not going to find that on the first try. So uh, you'd want to kind of have it go down in a funnel in some sense where, where you're going to hone in on what that calling might be. Yeah. This was one of the things that range was kind of meant to correct. Again, David Epstein's book 
was this outliers and Malcolm Gladwell where they're like, okay, by the age of two, you need to be so focused on violin that your child is, you know, doing it for nine hours a day. Yeah. And he was like, no, actually most people that doesn't work for most people. Mm -hmm. You just need to experience a lot and then you'll kind of figure things out. One of it, you know, kind of the things we've seen is that, um, a lot of times you don't know that you would enjoy it until you're maybe even forced into a position where you just have to do it. Yeah. Um, Ben Garrett was a good example mm-hmm. uh, with the diaconate this summer. Yeah. Just tell me yeah, more yeah, about so, that. So that, I mean, so this is what we're going to find. The pattern is very important because when you get into whatever calling that is, it's either going to confirm or deny that mm-hmm. it is your calling right. one, one way or another over time, you're going to realize, yes, wow, this really is what I'm called to. Or you say, Absolutely not. This There's is, a pattern and this, it's this not, is that. not Yeah, there is a pattern I found, but it's not for this. Yes. Uh, so, so Ben Garrett is a good example of this because he had many opportunities, unfortunately, just through some trials in, in our church. Was that, was that this summer? Yeah. It was, it was, it was still recent memory, but he just he a lot of it. difficult situations that yeah. he had to deal with as a deacon where, where he's taking care of families yeah. and organizing care, uh, go, going, going over to pray, uh, a lot of this coordinating efforts where you might've talked to him beforehand and he would say, well, well, yeah, like I I love to take care of people. This is, that's why I'm signing up to be a deacon, you know, Uh, going, going through this period of testing and he gets into that situation and emerges on the other side and says, absolutely. This is what I'm called to. Yeah. Huge confirmation. You don't don't really have that kind of uh, solid ground on the front side before you go through it, right? You're, you're refined by the fire. You're, you're tested by that. And other people as well. We kind of looked at it and we're like, wow, yes, you actually are really good at this. And yes, other people yeah, we, giving we that input also. But one thing that I want to clarify for this, remember that map is kind of, I, I'm okay with keeping it fairly broad, keeping it fairly generalized. What, one way you might say this is map is the door that you walk through. But once you're inside, there's still a lot of work to be done. So, so let, let's just give a really concrete example. So again, going back to the real estate stuff, because this is a process, you might find, okay, motivations, yep, motivated, check. Abilities, okay, yep, I think that checks out. Okay, pattern, I've had some experience with this, checks out. Okay, real estate agent, that's my calling. Okay, but there's still this, a whole nother aspect. And this is where I think we strike gold. And this conversation doesn't happen as much as it needs to happen. And this is what I would call a, uh, an excite versus a drain list or a start and a stop list. Mm. So once you're actually in that career field, and again, this is going to apply especially to the trades, but I think it has broad application for almost any vocation. You can find what most aligns with your abilities, and it's oftentimes going to give you energy. So again, for uh, maybe Pastor Brian, he, he's really gifted with speaking. And, and he can go off the cuff. I'm, I'm certainly not there, right? Different giftings. He's able to go in front of a crowd and just talk. He can totally do that and, and do it well. And, and that seems to give him energy. He might go through his day and ha- literally have a list right in front of him that says excite on one side and drain on the other or start on one side and stop on the other. And he just tracks throughout his day. Hey, did this speaking engagement? Loved it. Gave me a lot of, lot of energy. Okay. Start or excites. And this is helpful too, uh, because a lot of times you think like, if you're thinking too broadly, you're like, 
would I like to be a painter or not? Well, it's, it's actually, it could be that like, you like these things about being a painter. Exactly. It'd be way more specific. Uh-huh. Like I work for a commercial painting business for a time and it's like, okay, I like project management, but I didn't care for estimation quite as much. Yeah. You know, it so, can. So you should track that. Yes. You should track that because this is a process. Remember, it's not a one and done. So because we have this start stop list or this excite versus drain list, you actually open up a world of opportunities, very cool opportunities. This is like the secret sauce, honestly. And that's why I'm saying we're not talking about this enough, but you get into that career field. Let's say it's real estate and real estate's a really good example because it's kind of a microcosm of business in general. If you can learn how to be a real estate agent and run a good team, you, you it translates into every other trade, every other business almost. But let's say you get into real estate. Well, it's not, there's not just being a real estate agent. You could be a buyer's agent. You could be a seller's agent. You could be a transaction coordinator. You could work for the title company. You could work for the title company. You could work as a, you know, I mean, like there there are so many different spots that you could plug into, even within one specific team that what you could do, let's say you own the business, you're going out on your own real estate agent, maybe still even working for a broker, but you have a team and you say, wow, I don't like spending time with people. <laughs> like I just, <laughs> I, I'm, I think I'm good at going in. We're going to get a listing. We're going to uh, do a really good job taking care of these people. But as far as the, like going out house shopping with people, I just don't like that. Okay, cool. You shouldn't be a buyer's agent. Find somebody else, partner with somebody else, collaborate with somebody else to be a buyer's agent. You should be a seller's agent, or maybe you should just be a team lead. Maybe you're not doing a lot of the face-to-face. You train the buyer's agent. You train the, the, the listing agent, basically. You, you make sure the transaction coordinator is doing what they're supposed to do. The admin is doing what they're supposed to do. But you're not doing the buyer's agent stuff. You could recognize that over time through this process and write it down and track it and say, I might have to fill this role for now. Because again, don't, don't jump ship. You might have to fill this role for now, but you're actively looking for a new buyer's agent. Somebody who their talents and their giftings, like uh, my little brother, for example, I've, I've even talked with him about this. Like you would make a really good buyer's agent. He, he's bubbly. He, he likes hanging out with people. You know, like yes. he, would, he would have such a good time going out, going out seeing houses with people. Uh, that's one example where you could start to see how God made this world. And you could, instead of fighting it, just roll with the current and say, okay, well, I'm just not gifted in this area it drains me. I'm going to find somebody else to collaborate with. I'm going to find somebody else to partner with. And we're actually going to do way better for our people, provide a higher level of service because we're both excited about what we do. Yeah, really important. And I think even on teams, you know, you and I have talked about this before, but uh, Gino Wickman's book, Rocket Fuel. Oh yeah. Um, The last job that I worked at with one of my friends um, early on, you know, we're doing a startup. It was really difficult. And um, we just had a lot of tension, a lot of conflict uh-huh. and we were worked through it. Finally, we had kind of a business consultant friends recommend rocket fuel. <laughs> um, so we, we read this book and I'm like, rocket fuel. What's it? I don't even, what's this even about? I'm not saying this is you guys, but this is you, this guys. is you guys. <laughs> yeah. And uh, really what it was is my friend was a visionary yeah, and I was an integrator and they're very different people. And, and, but we hadn't figured out those roles. Okay. And so there was a lot of tension. Well, we go through the book. We did yeah. some of the consulting with them. And it was like, again, it was a light bulb moment realizing, you You're know, just crossing wires. Yeah. He would go mm-hmm. into visionary mode and I would just be like, this dude, this is how long it's going to take to do all those projects. <laughs> yeah. And not realizing that like there needs to be space, like for the visionary to be the visionary. Yes. 
But then you have to have a different conversation when it's like, okay, now we're in implementation phase. Mm -hmm. But this really got to the issue of two roles that are both on the executive team. In this case, he was the CEO Mm -hmm. and I was uh, chief of staff. Mm -hmm. Um, Very different roles. But if you didn't know that about the differences in personality and role, like the first six months were tough. Yes. Because we didn't. Well, and, and the funny thing is some people will try to say, well, okay. So like in response to that, maybe they didn't read the book and they say, you know what? We're just going our separate ways. You obviously have your, your way of doing things and I have mine. That's actually not the right approach. No. Because again, recognize God's world, recognize that people have different giftings and you can just say, man, you're really good at that. And I'm not like, like the ideas guy, right? I consider myself more, more on the visionary side than I do on the integrator side. Uh, because if it, if I fail at one thing, I think it does come down into execution and that's where you need to partner up with somebody who's really good at execution. Cause I, I can have ideas come to me all day. It, it doesn't matter if you can't execute on any of them, you actually need both. So it's, it would be the wrong approach to say, well, I'm just going to do my thing. You just do your thing. Let's just part ways. It's no, no, no. Let's figure out our lanes. Let's figure out where we best complement each other and then go full force. Yeah, exactly. That's what you want. And I think ultimately, if you want to be long-term successful, this is what I keep coming back to. If you, if you want to do great things, you're going to have to work with other people well. Yeah. Almost nobody did anything great if they were like solo. Mm-hmm. So then you're thinking through like, well, then you got you to gotta start figuring out these patterns. And, and as we went through the book, it was also really helpful because just what you were talking about, you basically have a, a cheat sheet where you write down like, where have we had tension? Yeah. What was it about? <laughs> yeah. You're keeping score. And then you start realizing, oh, it's because you're a visionary. You're, uh-huh. you're more in that lane. And so here's some ways for you to uh, interact with each other that are going to be. Yeah. Here are the general roles that you should stick to. And here are the general roles that you should stick to. Right. Yeah, if you, it, if it you were the visionary out. guy, it was really like, hey, probably don't be interacting with each employee and telling them how to do their job. Uh-huh. Yeah. You're not the manager. It's going to create chaos. Yeah. You, you can lead, but you're not the manager. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that book was, was really helpful and and helpful specifically in this conversation, because if there's something that I can get across, I I want people to see that the differences aren't bad, right? We have a tendency to think you think differently than me. That's bad. No, no, no. That's actually a really good thing. If you see it for what it is and you can both get on the same page, then you have alignment, right? Even, even two callings coming together alignment. That, that's where you started. That's why it's called rocket fuel, right? Yeah. Because when you have the visionary and the integrator who get on the same page, that's when you have the rocket fuel. Yeah. That's when, that's when your, your spaceship takes off. You yeah. Know? Yeah. That's absolutely right. Let's uh, j- just for time's sake, maybe, maybe jump down to the bottom. I, there, there's two things just really, really practically that, that I'd like to, to give the listener. One of them is uh, there's a really good book out there called durable trades, mm-hmm. right? Rory grows. We, we've talked about yep, that. He's that been on my line. podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a really helpful starting point. If, if you can't think of anything else and just, you're just coming up with ideas, yeah, just coming up with ideas, right. Uh, really pretty stable jobs throughout history. What, what's still going to be around in a hundred years. You can look through that peek through it and say, uh, maybe for your young son and say, well, uh, painting. Okay. Yeah. Painting's interesting. What, what does that require? What's kind of the effort that I have to put forward? Is, is it a big financial investment up front? How does that work? Okay. Well, what about, uh, you, you know, being, being a shepherd, he even has that on there, right? Well, what, 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 what if I have cattle? Like, is that, can I do that today? Like, do people <laughs> yeah, still do that? You know, I, I thought Bill Gates owned all the farmland or something. 
Uh, but, but you start thinking through some of that stuff. So I'd recommend something like durable trades uh, just as a, a starting point with the caveat. We do have a temptation, just like we have a temptation to go white collar with everything. There is, I think, a rebounding temptation to go blue collar with everything. Recognize that the beauty of seeing your calling for what it is, is that one person can go be a doctor and that's okay. And one person can go be a painter and that also is okay, right? We don't need to force somebody into a mold uh, through this discovery process. Yeah, I think not flatlining it. The other book I would recommend, uh, I've been reading on recommendation of Chris Wiley, this is by Matthew Crawford, it's Shop Class as Soulcraft. Oh yeah. And uh, he breaks down in there how kind of society for, for the convenience of major corporations mm-hmm. divided knowledge work from handwork. Yeah. And he actually argues like that's actually a false dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think especially for guys, if you're thinking through um, what are some of the things that I could be doing, I think there's a good case in there to be made for like trades. Yes. But also like, Hey, even if you are like you work at a think tank, you should mm-hmm. find ways to work with your hands. Yeah. Some way, somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're still Uh, human. Yeah. You're still human. You need to do that. Uh, But I also think too, when you look at durable trades in Rory Grove's list, there's a lot of stuff on there that isn't actually blue collar. Um, But these are jobs that have endured. There's doctor on there. And yeah, yeah. even probably pastor clergy is probably Mm -hmm. not strictly blue collar. I don't think Yeah, Um, more academic. So that can be really helpful. Um, Other ideas, Kevin, for young guys trying to figure this out. Yeah. I using time. I think it'd be helpful maybe just to give one an encouragement and then kind of a how to. So, yeah. and, and maybe that'll, that'll cl- kind of close us out for today, but the encouragement is maybe this comes up in another podcast as well. Parents, as you're thinking about this for your young boys, especially recognize that if they're going to go out on a trade, do a trade, or, or start their own business or something like that. There's a high level of risk up front. Starting your own business, it, it's not going to be easy, right? There's a lot that you can do up front to provide shelter for them, even if that means literally providing shelter for them, allowing them to stay at home. Don't, don't get caught up in the, I'm so worried about my, my son being 30 years old in the basement, you know, whatever it is. Uh, if they're there through the college years that they would have been in college anyways, I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing as long as they're not using that as a crutch that's going to keep them there, right? But if they're using that as to do this recommendation, which I'm about to give you, uh, I think there's a lot that you can do to really prop them up and your next generations, right? Because you're going to eliminate risk for them where, yes, they had high risk, high reward, but if you dampered that risk and the reward was still really high of owning their own business too, which we'll get into in episode three, where we talk about, yeah, but how do I make money? Uh, there's a lot that you can do to help support them in this time. So this is kind of what I'd recommend. This is maybe uh, a how-to, very flexible on the times that I'd, I'd give here, but this is just uh, maybe some advice that I'm giving to, to the younger guys, even to your, your own son, for example. But I would start probably around 15 or 16 years old beginning to work summers with a trade of interest. So maybe that's where you're going and shadowing maybe one day with various trades, or maybe it's, hey, just providentially, I have this guy in my church. He's a painter. He said I can work with him in the summers. He needs extra help anyways. Okay, go do that. I, I'd, I'd recommend doing that just, just to kind of uh, to cut your teeth on that in, in some sense, right? 
<clears throat> that would be about 15 or 16. Find somebody who's really good at what they do also, especially if you're going to make the full commit and say, hey, I'm going to be with you for some time. Find somebody who actually knows what they're doing, not somebody who does this part-time, not somebody who uh, isn't skilled at what they do, but find somebody like a, a Pastor Kevin Griffin that you look at his work and you say, whoa, he does a very good job at what he does. He, he's got to know all the tips and tricks. Yeah, the whole point originally of apprenticeship was that you were under a master. Exactly. So you, do you want to have somebody who you is a master? You don't want to be under another apprentice. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so find somebody who is actually a master at what they do, uh, really good at what they do. And you need to learn the tricks of the trade. You need to get the skills. Remember, MAP, when we talk about abilities, if you could find your abilities, but then also add the skills, it's, you're going to be a powerhouse, right? So you'd want to learn the skills while you can. Then I'd probably recommend going full-time right after graduating high school. And during that time, during the ramp-up phase, definitely be reading business books, obviously, to prepare you to go out on your own someday, to own the business in full on your own. Uh, probably around 2021, start taking on your own work, maybe just taking care of people in your church with stuff you're actually competent in. Do not go fail people during, during that time. That's, yeah, that's, that's, how you add, that's how you earn a very bad name in the community. Don't do that. Do something you're actually competent in because you've been working really hard the last few years to get to that point. But uh, at some point, you're going to branch out on your own. You're going to take on your own business. And if you follow this path and do it diligently and it aligns with your map, your calling, there's, there's no doubt in my mind that you could have a thriving business at 25 years old when all of your counterparts are, have recently graduated college or are still in college and will graduate with $50,000 in debt. And you have a thriving business with no debt. You probably have assets at that point, honestly. So you would take that. Uh, obviously, there's going to be some, some change to this a little bit. If you, if you have to go to trade school for your trade or there's some other uh, required licensing process, but no matter what, start training with somebody who knows what they're talking about, who knows what they're doing, uh, especially if you can find an older man, maybe who doesn't have a son that could take over his business. And, and as, as he sunsets on the business, you could step in, step into his place and, and take the book of clients as well. Um, that's, that's probably what I would recommend at this point, especially for young boys, as you're thinking about this, give them opportunity, let them start getting that, those skills. Um, because if they don't go to college, which is okay, but if they don't go to college, they need to be getting that experience under their belt so they can have a thriving business in their mid twenties. It's totally doable. It's totally possible, especially if they're following the process for what it looks like to take care of clients and to actually grow your business, which we'll talk about in episodes two and three. Uh, if they're following that process, yeah, I've, I've no doubt they could have a, a very successful business that they own in their mid twenties. Awesome. Well, Kevin, it's been a wonderful conversation. Yeah. Thanks. Glad um, to be here. You mentioned two more episodes, I guess, just a quick recap, if, if you don't mind lay yeah. out what to expect on those. Yeah. So the first one today, we're just answering, what is my calling? Mm -hmm. What is my mission? And hopefully we've given some very practical tools for how you can think through that. Remember, it's not a one and done. It's a process. Okay. That was today. If you have questions on this, by the way, feel free to reach out to us on social media. Maybe we can kind of tease it out a little bit more, or if we need to do a follow on at the end of this or answer yeah. some questions, we totally can do that. So that's the first one. What is my calling today? Uh, part two, when we get together is why you need to be the absolute best. Specifically framing this in uh, your vocation as the primary way that you love your neighbor. And, and we'll, we'll get to why that is. Part three 
is answering the question that does not get asked or answered oftentimes. It doesn't get asked because they're ashamed in Christian circles, but then doesn't get answered potentially also because they're ashamed in Christian circles is, but how do I make money? Okay, cool. I, I found my map. I found my life calling and I've committed to being the best, but how do I actually make money? Could I need to support my family? I need to feed uh, my, my wife and kids. I need to clothe them. I need to provide a good roof over their heads. How, how do I go about this? And how do I think about that as a Christian? That's what we're going to try to answer together. Yeah, that's exciting. Well, I'm looking forward to the uh, ongoing conversation. Again, Headmaster Kevin Love, Pastor Kevin Love from Refuge Church here in Ogden, Utah. Thanks again for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, thanks again for listening to this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. I hope the conversation has been edifying and I hope it points you in the right direction. If you're thinking about how do I find my calling, maybe you're a parent and you're thinking about how do I help my children find their calling as well. Of course, as fathers, that's one of the things we want to do for our our sons and daughters is to figure out what they're great at, what they could be great at, and help hone and sharpen those skill sets. Again, we want to point you to Patreon. If you're not yet a supporter of the show, we encourage you to go to Patreon. There'll be a link for that in the show notes. You can support for as little as $5 a month. If you join today at the $10 a month tier, you get a Hardman Slunk Eggs coffee cup for free. Also, if you join at the $20 a month tier, you get a pint glass, a Virtus Hardman podcast pint glass. Again, we appreciate all of our Patreon supporters. For those of you who are already supporting You make this work possible, so we definitely thank you. And a final shout-out for the new Christendom Press Conference. That is going to be June 8th through 10th. We've had a lot of great social media buzz going on about that conference. We've got some exciting speakers. We've got Nick Solheim from American Moment. We've got Mr. Matt Reynolds from Barbell Logic going to be talking to us about strength. And we also got Quinn Bible coming to bring ribeyes, red-blooded red meat for everybody to eat at the VIP dinner, limited ticketing for all of that, the conference and the VIP. So if you haven't yet signed up, please be sure to do that so you can make sure that you get a seat. We're looking forward to seeing you guys there. Until next time, men, stay frosty, fight the good fight, act like men.